Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Naples Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you'll be blessed by this week's message. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would just bless this time where we dig into your word. I ask that you would just pour your spirit upon this place, that you would touch our hearts and our minds for understanding, that we would leave this place uh, moved by you, challenged by you, encouraged by you, um, and, and leave here knowing that, that you're coming after us, you're seeking after us, and to follow you, Lord. In your name we pray, amen. So where we're going to pick up today is Luke 18, verse 18, if it fits well. And, and as Aaron asked me to, if I could lead this morning, I was thinking of what to teach about, and I had talked to the youth about this section of Scripture, and I had looked back at it, and I thought it was a fitting, because if you look on to the next bit, it's before Jesus' triumphal triumphal entry into Jerusalem, which is next week, Palm Sunday. So it's fitting, I think, to to be here and to to be in this section to prepare our hearts for that as well as we move towards Easter. And in this section, Jesus uh, has just finished teaching uh, people as he's walking towards Jerusalem, as he's going up to Jerusalem, and he's shared some, some some parables. One of them was the Pharisee and the tax collector, where you've got a Pharisee who's gone in and, and prayed, thank you, Lord, I am not like that tax collector or all those other people. And then you've got the tax collector that says, Lord, I am a miserable sinner. Forgive me. And then after that, people are holding back the children. He says, let the children come to me. And then we see this man that we're going to read about here. It says, your title might say the rich, rich ruler. If you look at Matthew, it might say the rich young ruler. Uh, we'll learn more about this man here. But he's been teaching these people as he's been walking. He's been teaching people. And we see this man come to Jesus. And we pick up in verse 18. And it says, And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And it's interesting there. This ruler, it doesn't say what he's a ruler of. It doesn't say he's a political ruler. It doesn't say he's a spiritual ruler. It just says a a ruler came and asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? We don't know exactly what what this guy's background is, but he realizes that Jesus is a good teacher. And it's interesting that he uses that word good teacher because Jesus will talk to him in verse 19 and say, why do you call me? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. He's not correcting this man. He's just saying, hey, by the way, you're saying that I'm God. I'm agreeing with you in this. I'm saying, yes, I am God. I'm not correcting you because I am God. It's interesting that he says, good teacher. But it's interesting what he asks the good teacher. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And you might miss that word because it's only two letters, do. So many times we think, if I just do this, if I just do that, then things will go well. But it's not about doing anything. It's about accepting the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And that's what we've been, at, at, as Cesar mentioned, the Godmobile at the fair. As people have come to the Godmobile, that's one of the things that we ask. It's all, not about doing, it's about accepting the Lord and what He's done for you. There is nothing that we can do to earn eternal life. But this man says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so, as I said, in verse 19, he says, Why do you call me good? No one is good except for God alone. And then he continues, he says, You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness against your neighbor. Honor your father and mother. 
And the, the young ruler says, all these I have kept from my youth. So Jesus says, okay, you're a man that kind of understands the commandments. Have you done these? Have you followed these rules? And it's interesting that he points out those rules because those are all, all commandments that deal with dealing with your fellow man, dealing with the people that you interact with on a daily basis, dealing with your family. He talks about not killing people. Hopefully, none of you have done that. And he brings up these, these commandments and he says, have, what about these? You've heard about these. And, and the, the guy's response is, I've done all these since my youth. Maybe he has. Maybe he hasn't told a lie. I highly doubt it. Maybe he hasn't killed a person. I hope not. But he says, I've done all these things. Kind of sitting a little bit self-righteous. Kind of thinking, all right, I'm good. All right. Sitting there thinking, I'm pretty confident in what I've done. But then Jesus hits him. He says in verse 22, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Now, the man didn't come and say, he didn't come to Jesus and say, good teacher, I'm a rich man and I have lots of wealth and what can I do with that to serve you? No, he asked, what can I do to earn eternal life? But Jesus knows this man. And that's what we'll see as we go through this this section here. Jesus knows us. Jesus knows exactly who we are. He knows exactly where to meet us. He knows exactly what to say to us. And so he says to this man, sell all that you have and give it to the poor and come follow me. Now, is Jesus saying at this point, you shouldn't be wealthy? Get rid of all your money because you shouldn't have it. No, he's not saying that. He's telling this man, you're wealthy. I'm going to remind you of where your priorities are. Your priorities are about your wealth. Get rid of that. Set your priorities of wealth aside and come follow me. Give what you have to those that don't and come follow me. The end thing is the important thing. And come follow me. Jesus could have said, give half. Give a quarter. But he said, give all. Because that was what's holding him back. And and some of us might not be wealthy. And we say, well, I'm not wealthy, so I'm good here. Again, thinking, I'm all right. I'm pretty confident in this. But here's the question to you. It's not a question of give all your wealth away. It's not that. It's what are your priorities? Where are your priorities? What's your focus? What, what things are holding you back from following Jesus Christ? What is holding you back? Is it work? Is it family? Is it prestige? What is holding you back from following the Lord? That's a question we all need to ask ourselves. What is holding me back? What am I holding on to? What am I putting my hope in? What am I putting my trust in that's not the Lord? And that's the thing that the Lord says, put that to the side. Whatever it is for you, put that to the side. Because that's holding you back from following Jesus fully. And we see this man's reaction here in, uh, let's see, lost my place. We see this man's reaction here uh, in verse 23. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Here we finally find out that Jesus hit it right on the head. And he's not sad because he's rich. He's sad because he's holding on to that. Aaron's talked several times about holding on to this, trying to hold on to Jesus or hold on to eternal life. 
You can't hold on to both because they'll stretch you right apart. You got to let go of what's holding you back and hold tight to the Lord. And this man's sad because that's hard. And sometimes the things that are holding us back from following the Lord, those are hard to give up. It feels so good, and I like that. Get rid of it and follow the Lord. And this man is sad because of that. And, and Jesus, seeing that he became sad in verse 24, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And those, in verse 26, and those who heard it said, then said, who can be saved? But Jesus said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Now, some, some Bible scholars that I've heard refer to this camel walking through the eye of a needle as there's a gate that these camels had to get on their knees and then be dragged through. And I don't think that's what Jesus is referring to. I think Jesus is pointing out that this thing seems so impossible, but with God, all things are possible. When these people hear this statement, they're just like, what? Well, if, if the rich man can't get in, then what hope is there? If that's what you're telling me to do, get rid of what hope is there? And while it might be comfortable to hold on to the things that we love, the things that are holding us back, when we rely on God, those burdens fall away. Those things can be easily tossed to the side. Those things can be easily let go of, and we can hold fast to who Jesus is and who God is and what He's done for us. And then I love in verse 28, Peter pipes up. He says, see, we have left our homes and followed you. And then he said to them, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time in the age to come or in this time and in the age to come, uh, eternal life. I've been like Peter, thinking, all right, well, I've done that, I'm good. Kind of going back to that parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, uh, at least I'm not like that guy. But Jesus doesn't rebuke him there. He's, he's reminding him that, yes, there are rewards for following me. In this age and the age to come. There are rewards for following Jesus now. Maybe at first it doesn't seem like it. But there's a reward for following Jesus now. And ultimately, the eternal reward is the best reward there ever is. The fact that we get to worship and praise Him in in heaven, that's an amazing thing and I can't wait for it. But there are rewards for following the Lord. And Jesus wants to remind Peter, yes, hold on to that. Because there will be times in Peter's life where the rewards may not seem worth it. There will be times where Satan comes at you and and he, he presses on you and he pushes on you and you start to question. But hold on to that reward. That reward will not fade away. That reward will not rust. That reward will not be stolen from you. The reward of heaven is greater than anything that you could ever imagine or hope for. Hold on to that. And he's reminding Peter here, even though Peter's being Peter, hold on to that. And then we have this interesting little thing here, and I don't know if your Bibles have, have headlines there for this <laughs> next section, but it's Jesus foretells his death a third time. A third time. Think about that. He's told his disciples about his death now three times. And he says this, And taking the twelve, he said to them, 
See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered into the Gentiles and be mocked and insulted and, treat, uh, insulted and spit upon. And after flogging, uh, after flogging him, they would kill him. And on the third day he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. Jesus is giving them an idea of what's to come. And it's probably a good thing at this point in time that they didn't fully understand what he was saying. Can you imagine that? This guy that you've been following around for years just tells you, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be killed and people are going to spit on me. They're going to mock me. They're going to hate me. That's heavy. So a little bit of grace there from, from the Lord, not revealing exactly what that means. I don't know how many of you guys have, have watched the, uh, uh, the Mel, Mel Gibson movie of, of, of the crucifixion. That's heavy. To see our Lord depicted as being beat like that, to see our Lord who loves us so deeply mocked for us. That's heavy. Brings you to tears. Just thinking about what he went through for us. I can't imagine being right next to him, walking with him and having that understanding. That would be almost too much to bear. But here, it's hidden from them. It's, it's later revealed to them We'll see that after the angels speak with him, after they see him on the road to Emmaus, after they see him appear after his resurrection, and then it clicks. And so many times we hear something over and over again, and we don't understand it the first time, or the second time, or the third time, or the hundredth time, but ultimately it clicks. Here we see that will happen with these disciples. And then he's continuing on his way up to, to Jerusalem. And, and I think, too, part of the, the reason why these disciples may not have thought much about this is they were going to Jerusalem at the time of Passover. Okay, we're going to Passover. We're, we're going we're gonna to have the lamb that was slain. Maybe that's why. But in verse 35, we see... As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside and begging. And hearing the crowd going by, he inquired at what this meant. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now this, if you want a cross-reference... This story, the, the story of the rich ruler is referred to in Matthew. It's referred to in Mark. Matthew 19 and Mark 10. You can cross-reference this. We learn from those Gospels that this man, this blind man, is Bartimaeus. And the Gospels refer to this man as Bartimaeus because probably the early church knew of who Bartimaeus was. They could talk to him. But we hear that Bartimaeus is sitting by the side of the road and he hears noise. I've never been blind, but I can recall not seeing something and hearing a loud noise and being, what was that? That's Bartimaeus' reaction here. He hears noise and he has to know what, 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 what's going on. And so he, he finds out that it's Jesus, son of Nazareth. Well, also in Matthew, there is another story of Jesus healing two blind men. A different story. They cried out the same thing. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Maybe news has gotten around to the blind community that you say that and you will receive your sight. I don't know. But that's his response. 
And he says, Jesus, son of, of David, have mercy on me. But it's interesting to see what those who were in front of the crowd said to him in verse 39. It says, and those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But it's interesting what he does there. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. It's one thing to ask for mercy, but then it's another thing to throw yourself to the Lord and all you've got in saying, Jesus, give me mercy. Lord, give me mercy. And that's what's happening here with Bartimaeus. They're telling him to be quiet. Shh, stop it. It's Jesus. We're trying to listen. And he can't hold back. Maybe you've been at a time where you've come to know the Lord. I hope you all have. But maybe you've been at a time where you plead for God's mercy. And maybe it's been so desperate and so, so deep that it's more than just saying, Lord, have mercy, but it's, Lord, have mercy on me. Where it comes from here, from the, your gut. That's Bartimaeus. That should be all of us. Lord, have mercy on me. It's one thing to desire his mercy, but it's another thing for it to be coming from your gut. Bartimaeus will not be quiet. You can't shut him up. You can't hold him back. You can't stop him. He has to have that mercy. And that should be all of us. We have to have Christ's mercy. We have to have the Lord's mercy. We should be calling out from our guts, Lord, have mercy on us. And then it says in verse 40, Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. If you look at some of the other Gospels in Matthew, I believe it is, Jesus stops and says, bring him to me. And when they said, come, the Lord is asking for you. What does Bartimaeus do? He doesn't get up and stumble towards Jesus. He throws off his cloak. He throws off everything that's holding him that, that he's got, throws it off and runs to Jesus. That's kind of crazy. He can't see where he's going. He doesn't, but he's got to get there. The depth of his soul is yearning for Jesus. And so he comes to Jesus and he came near and, and Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Or some translations might say, what do you want me to do to you? And Bartimaeus says, Lord, let me receive my sight or let me recover my sight. We don't know. Some stories of, of blind men say they were blind from birth or they were blind. We don't know the exact when Bartimaeus was blind, but at some point he was blind and his desire was to see again or to see. It's simple. One would think it's a blind guy. Of course, Jesus, he wants to see. You've done this before. But he asks and says, what do you want? And Jesus' response is, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. He didn't spit on his hands, make mud, put it on his eyes. He didn't lay his hands on. Receive your sight. When we're blind and, and the Lord speaks to us, when we're blind in faith and the Lord speaks to us, and we receive sight, there it is. He touches us and we can see. This morning, as we read this, as we read the Bible, as we understand who God is, He shows Himself to us. He opens up our eyes and we can see who He is and what He's done for us. And then, in verse 43, and immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God and all the people when they saw it gave praise to God. Have you ever seen somebody who couldn't see 
and now they can see. Have you ever seen somebody not know who Jesus is, and now they know who Jesus is? If you've been in that situation, there's nothing you can do but praise the Lord. It's amazing. At the fair, nonetheless. It's amazing. People come up, and they don't know who Jesus is. Am I going to heaven? Yes, no, I hope so. What is going to get me to heaven? But when they come to understand who Jesus is, you can't help but glorify the Lord. You can't help but praise Him. When you're in that trailer at the fair and and you hear somebody say that prayer and you can see the sincerity in their heart, all of us in that trailer are glorifying God. The angels in heaven are glorifying God. When you hear that story, you can't help but glorify God. And so we see this same thing happen here. People can't help but glorify God and who he, what He's done. And then we continue on into chapter 19. And this is the only gospel that this, is, that this story is recorded in. And it, you may have heard the song about Zacchaeus. He was a wee little man. But, but it's something that it can be overlooked because it's a Sunday school story. Or it's just a, a fun song that you sing. But it's important. I, there's so many good lessons in this. So in verse, nine, in verse 1 of chapter 19, it says, He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see, for, uh, to see, for he was about to pass this way, or that way. Now, if you remember the story, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he, climbed up into a sycamore tree to see what he could see. It's a good remembrance because it reminds us of the story and the passion, the the zeal of Zacchaeus to see who Jesus was. But it's important to realize that he was a, a tax collector and not just a tax collector, but the chief tax collector. He was in charge of the tax collectors. And again, going back to that parable that Jesus said in, the, in chapter 18, the tax collector realized how wretched he was. And the people of Israel hated tax collectors because of how wretched they were. And this man's the chief of them, in charge of tax collectors. And he wants to see Jesus. And because he's short, he can't see over the crowd. And because he's a tax collector, he can't just casually walk into the crowd. Can you imagine what would have happened to him if he had? Elbow in there. Hey, Zacchaeus, what comes after L? Boom! (laughs) He couldn't walk into the crowd because of what could possibly happen to him, what the people might do to him. So what does he do? He runs ahead. He climbs up into a tree. Now, I don't know about you, But that idea seems kind of funny because, remember, they're in Israel. They're wearing robes, climbing up into... Not a good idea. Probably not the easiest thing to do. But Zacchaeus doesn't care. He runs ahead and climbs up into a sycamore tree. And I had a sycamore tree growing up in in Indiana, and it was tall and huge and big. And I'm like, I never really understood, how would he climb that? That doesn't seem like a good climbing tree. But this is a sycamore fig, a smaller tree. It's apparently pretty good for climbing. I should take Liam to a sycamore fig tree. He'll climb it. But Zacchaeus climbs this sycamore fig tree to see Jesus, just to see him. And Jesus here, it says in verse 5, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up, And said to him, Zacchaeus, 
hurry down, for I must come to your house today. I've heard something that perhaps Zacchaeus knew of Jesus, and perhaps Zacchaeus had met Jesus. When Matthew, another tax collector, threw a party when Jesus invited him to follow him, maybe Zacchaeus was there. I don't know. Could be an interesting connection. But the more interesting thing is, Jesus knew who he was and that he was there. And he didn't say, get out of the tree, Zacchaeus. He said, hurry out of the tree, for I must come to your house today. Jesus could have gotten to Jerusalem all sorts of ways. He didn't have to go through Jericho. He didn't have to go that route. But I have a feeling Jesus being Jesus went that route to interact with Bartimaeus, to see Zacchaeus. It's interesting, you know, the city of Jericho, if you remember your Sunday school songs, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. Jericho is a place where the walls came tumbling down. And here we see with Zacchaeus, the walls are about to come tumbling down. Jesus came there to see Zacchaeus, to meet Zacchaeus. And so Zacchaeus hurries down out of the tree and, and then received him joyfully. And here's a little bit of a break between these verses. We don't know what happened from when he received Jesus joyfully to this next point. But we do know that the people that saw Jesus go into the house were grumbling. We see that we don't know exactly what Jesus told him. Like, did he do Romans Road with Zacchaeus? We don't know. But what we do know is the result. We, we see here in verse 7 that the people saw it and they grumbled. He is going to be the guest of a man who was a sinner. Remember, he had just told this parable a while ago, and people probably heard about it, of how tax collectors were wretched, and this man went away justified, glorified, uh, righteous. And so they're grumbling outside the house, thinking, stupid Jesus, can't believe he's going into that guy. You see, know who that guy is? But then we see the change of Zacchaeus' heart in verse 8. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. We see the change in Zacchaeus. The walls came tumbling down. All the stuff that he, all his, half of his wealth. It's interesting, half of his wealth. And Jesus doesn't say, no, 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 it's got to be 100%. Like the rich young ruler. Zacchaeus says, half of what I have, I give to the poor. And Jesus is okay with that. Because it's not about how much, but it's about what. Zacchaeus, had, like the rich young ruler, had been holding on to that money. That was the thing that made him who he was. And he said, I'm done with it. I don't want that. I'm going to give halfway to the poor, and anybody that I've, that I've robbed, I'm going to repay them fourfold. The change is here. Not here. It's easy to say one, one thing, but it's harder to do it. And Zacchaeus is going to follow through on this. And Jesus knows that the change has come from his heart, not from his lips. Today, salvation has come to this house. And I love what Jesus says there in verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. 
Zacchaeus was lost. Bartimaeus was lost. The rich young ruler was lost. I was lost. You all were lost. But he came to seek and save you. He came to seek and save you. We didn't get lucky. We weren't just that amazing that we found him, but he came to seek and save you. It's not what you can do, but what he has done for you. And I am thankful that he came seeking me because I was his enemy. We all were his enemies. And he said, I'm going to come find you. Thank God for that. And then his disciples, in verse 11 here, they're probably thinking, wow, this is amazing. This is quite the revival. Maybe this is it. Maybe the trumpets are about to sound. It's a pull an Aaron move. But as they, it says in verse 11, as they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was appear, to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and he said to them, Engage in business, or do business until I come again. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. Now, we're going to pause right there for a second. I didn't know about this, but apparently there was one of King Herod's relatives, King Archelaus or something, something like that, had at one point in time... At around this time in, in, when Jesus is teaching this parable, had gone to Rome seeking to be made king instead of just like in charge of the area. He wanted to be king. And the people of the area said, went to Rome and said, we don't want him to be king. And he wasn't made king. In fact, he was removed from the throne and that's where we get Pontius Pilate. I thought that was pretty interesting because... Again, Jesus uses what we know, something that's common to us, to speak to us. And so he's using this parable to speak to these people, something that's common to them. But it's interesting because he, he, he gathers that folks are figuring that the kingdom of heaven is about, like, it's about to come. And he wants to remind the disciples, he wants to remind all of us that there's going to be a little pause. There's going to be a delay. In the parable, it's a certain nobleman went to a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. In our case, Jesus has gone off to heaven to prepare a place for us, and he will return. But then it says he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minus. Ten minus is like three months worth of wages at this point in time. Or, I'm sorry, a mina is worth three months of, of wages. It's a lot of money. And he tells them, go about business. Do business while I'm gone. Carry on. He gives each of the ten servants an equal amount. And then you hear about these citizens that hated him and said, we don't want him to be our king. Ten servants are us. Christians, we've been given an equal amount of grace. God gives us the gospel. We have that. Then you have the citizens that don't have that. And they say, we don't want Jesus as our king. The world does not want Jesus as their king. It's evident when you talk to people that don't want Jesus as their king, that they don't want Jesus as their king. 
And we continue on in this parable with keeping that mindset of, uh, in verse 15, when he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came to him and before him saying, Lord, your mina has made 10 minas more. And he said to him, well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in very little, you shall receive authority over 10 cities. And the second came to him saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. And then another came to him saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I have kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you because you were an austere man or a severe man or a strict man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. And the the master says to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, an austere man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank and at my coming that I might have collected it with interest? We'll pause right there. These ten servants, we only hear about three. The one, tenfold increase. The other one, fivefold increase. And then you've got this third one that we hear about. Put it away in a handkerchief. Hopefully it wasn't a used one. (laughs) But he puts it away and protects it. One might say, we've been given the gospel. Again, mina, gospel. We've been given the gospel. What are you doing with it? Are you doing business until the king returns? Are you sharing the gospel with people? Are you sharing the hope that Jesus Christ has with other people? Because when you do, it will increase. Or are you like that servant that hides it away, keeps it safe? I've got the gospel. I believe in Jesus. I'm good. And you do nothing with it other than just know that I have salvation. That was me years ago. I knew of the hope of the gospel, but I did nothing with it. I was a man who knew that Jesus was my Lord and Savior, but I did nothing with it. And then God got a hold of me and said, you need to do something with this. This is a treasure that I don't want to hold to myself. I want to share this treasure with others. I want it to increase. I want to be used by God so that his kingdom can increase. It's interesting, you know, he, he refers to this servant and saying, you reap what you did not, are you, you, uh, sorry, you take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. Whose money is it to begin with? It's God's. It's not our gospel. It's God's good news to men. It's not for us to hold on to. It's not for us to just keep it safe and keep it protected. Because when we do that, nothing happens. And we see that this man did nothing with it. And he's rebuked by the, by the king. It's Jesus' gospel. It's the good news. And so he says in verse 24, and, those who stood, uh, and, he, uh, and he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. Then they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. And the king says, I tell you, to everyone who has more will be given. But, uh, sorry, I tell you, to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Now, don't be deceived. It's not saying, if I do nothing with the gospel, I'm cast out. 
because that's not going to happen. But your reward won't be in he- your reward will be in heaven, but you won't have additional rewards. You won't have extra crowns to place at the feet of, of Jesus when that time comes. And that shouldn't be your ultimate goal to have more crowns, to be like, hey, I got 15. You only have 10. <laughs> but the goal should be, I want to I do this for the Lord. And if I do nothing with it, I still have my reward. But that's it. And so these, these people, that stand, the, the people that are standing by say, he's already got 10. Why does he need more? Because he was faithful in what he had. It doesn't say, well done, my good and faithful servant. It says, well done, my, my uh, well, I'll read it here. Well done, good servant, because you have been faithful. Um, you shall, in very little, you shall have authority over 10 cities. You're rewarded in heaven for what you do here. Not to glorify yourself, but to glorify him. And then in verse 27, the, the king says, But as for these enemies of mine, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Whew. That's harsh. But guess what? At the end, we will all be judged. Thankfully, those of us that believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we will not be judged on our own merit, but on His merit. Our sins have been covered. Our sins have been washed away. We are free from guilt and shame. But those that still reject the Lord, those that say, I don't want Him to be my King, there's judgment coming. In Second Peter 3.19, if I can get there. Or I'm sorry, not 3.19. 3.9 through 10. It says this. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but He is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should, see, uh, should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. When you're judged by the Lord, when you're in front of the beam of seat, and what you've done here is put into the fire, What's going to come out? Is it going to be all burned up? Or is it going to be a heavenly reward that lasts forever? If you don't have Jesus, it's all burned up. You have no hope. Like these that didn't want the king, you're slaughtered in eternal damnation. I hope that none of you want that. It's shocking, you know, again, with a fair, to hear people say, I'm going to hell as they walk by the booth. It's heartbreaking because they have no idea what that means. They have no idea how close they are to just having eternal life by turning and accepting the Lord. I saw an interesting video the other day that Jeffrey Dahmer came to know the Lord. Of all people, Jeffrey Dahmer? That's crazy. But because the Lord loves us, because He is not slack, because He wants all of us to have, have received the, the reward, He's slow. He's waiting on His return. This morning... If you don't know the Lord as your, Jesus as your Lord and Savior, today is the day to say, Lord, I'm done trusting in myself and what I can do to earn eternal life. I want to trust in you and what you've done for me on the cross. 
Don't be the citizens that say, I don't want you as my king. Say, Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, have mercy on me. And your reward is in heaven. And we will rejoice and glorify in what the Lord has done. Because he is good. That's where we'll leave today. If the worship team can come up. If that was you this morning. That says, Lord, I'm done trusting in myself. I'm done trying to do something. We want to glorify the Lord with you this morning. We want to pray with you. We want to talk with you. We'll have prayer partners up here in the front. Come talk to us. If you feel uncomfortable, find somebody in this fellowship that knows Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Talk to somebody and say, Lord, I'm I'm done. Today is the day that that ends and new life begins. If you're a Christian, don't hold on to your, your inheritance and say, I'm good. Do something with it. Not for your reward, but for his reward. Be like Zacchaeus. Don't care what it looks like, what it is. Run ahead, climb up the tree. Be like blind Bartimaeus. Say, Lord, have mercy on me from the depth of your soul. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the gospel. I thank you for the fact that I don't have to do this on my own. That I don't have to do something to earn eternal life, but that you've done it already for me. Lord, I ask as we, as we leave here this, this morning that, that you just move our hearts to compassion for those that don't know you. That you would draw us close to you We thank you, Lord, that you came to seek and save the lost. And Lord, I just thank you for who you are and what you've done. I thank you that you are good and do good things. We glorify you. We worship you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.